Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. It's to give you an overall preview of what the book of Colossians is all about. Because the point is this. If you don't understand what the book was written, if you don't understand who the book was written to, you may not be able to apply the book to yourself. Because primarily it was written to a set of people. That is the first thing you have to understand. Then you should know who wrote the book. Why was the book written? And then you can begin to apply that to yourself. And the fact that if you know why the book was written to the set of people that were written to, and if you are finding the same problem in your own time, then you can apply the solution that Paul was giving to them from the book to your life. This is only when the book becomes beneficial to you. And so, I want to give you a preview of the book. So, I'm going to cover. It will be all the chapters, but I'm going to show you the main points in all, all of those chapters that I'm going to touch. So it's not a matter of just looking at verse 2 in chapter 2, no. I'm going to run from chapter 1 to 2 to 3 to 4 because I'm not going to be here to continue, but that will give you a foundation that will enable you to understand where you are studying each verse. At that point, you are just going to apply the verses to your life because you already know why the book was written. Are we together? Alright, so the first thing is why was the book written, and who wrote the book? Now the book was primarily, as a matter of fact, written by Paul, and he wrote this book when he was in prison in Rome. He wrote the book of Colossians, he wrote the book of the Colossian church when he was in Rome, right? And he was in prison at that particular time. Now, Colossians is the book of connecting. I want you to note that word. A book of connecting, you see? You'll be able to understand what I mean by connecting as we move on. Now Paul was fighting the false teachings which have entered the church at that particular time when he wrote this book. There is that thing which you call syncretism. Syncretism. S-Y-N-C-R-E-T-I-S-M. Syncretism. Syncretism is that, that was the problem I wanted the church. So what is syncretism? Syncretism is the combination of ideas and other philosophies with religion. That's the idea of make of paganism. You combine different methods, different beliefs, and you make them a doctrine. That's what it was syncretism. Is that okay? And so in this church there were a lot of things that were coming into the church. Greek philosophy was coming in. Judaism was coming in. No, this was supposed to be a Christian community. First century church. But now, there were some of these people who were from Judaism who came in and were introducing Judaism. And then there were others that came in and they said that they were Greek philosophers that they were introducing all of those things. And there were some pagan worships also. They were also bringing in into the church at this particular time. 
For the Greek people that came in, they felt they were so knowledgeable and they were bringing these Greek philosophies right into the church again also. And uh, their brand of teaching was called Gnosis. Gnosis. But in the, the true sense of it is called Gnosticism. And that is a clear departure from the scriptures. I'll make you see what that means. They talk about absolute knowledge. That is Gnosticism. Absolute knowledge. They have so much knowledge. You know, like the Greek. If you remember in Acts, in the book of Acts, I think chapter 17, when Paul was into Athens, and uh, he was trying to talk to the people. Uh, you know what he said? What has this blood like God to tell us? Now what do you know? Because for the Greek people, they were the most knowledgeable people you can find at that time. You know, people like Plato, Socrates, Archimedes, you know, great philosophers. So, you can't come to the Greek community and just go and teach the people. They don't allow you to do that. That's why Paul was writing the first Corinthians and said, do we, second Corinthians, do we need a place for letters of commendation to speak to you are our epistles? What he was saying was that, do I need permission like it was to the Greek people if I can talk to the people? Because you cannot just come from anywhere and talk to the Greek men because of the level of knowledge that they have. They, they claim they have. So they call it Gnosis. Now all of these things came into the church. So we have syncretism, we have Gnosticism. They were all bombarding the church. So Paul was writing this later to help this church overcome this problems. Are you following what I'm saying here? Alright. So it was to combat error. You know, he was writing to combat the error that was in place. Paul was therefore stressing the deity of Christ. He was stressing the headship of Jesus Christ. If you're going to read, that's what they're going to find. The headship of Jesus Christ, the authority of Jesus Christ, the position of Christ, as far as humanity was concerned. So we're now beginning to emphasize that, so that people can take away their mind from the syncretism, from the gnosticism, and come back to Christ. This was the foundation of this particular book. Are you following me? Right. So what's Christ in the day of Christ, his connection with the Father, and his sacrificial death, these were the things that was emphasizing. The need for us to understand who Christ was to this particular church. To take away their mind from all of those things that we're now trying to believe in or try to go into so that they can truly come to believe into Christ and to know that through Christ they can connect to God. And there is no other way but you can be saved except through Jesus Christ. This was the emphasis in the book of Colossians. Now, he tried to make it that by being connected to Christ, through faith, one can be connected to God and have eternal life. And that is only through this connection that you can truly have the power to live the Christian life. This is the emphasis. Are you following what I'm saying here? Right. He was trying, don't forget the reason why he wrote the book. There were confusion in that church. All manner of teaching and doctrine. So, if you are, for instance, today, what the environment, what was going on in the churches, and you can be able to see if there is a pure doctrine of Christ, or there is a mix-up of the Christ doctrine, then you can understand precisely what Paul was saying here. By implication, you can apply the principle of this book to overcome what is going on today in the churches. Are you getting this? You follow what I'm saying so far? Right. 
It's a book that guides you away, that takes you away from corruption. When I use the word corruption, the mix-up of the doctrine of Christ, of Christianity, with paganism. We have a lot of things going on today, if you watch carefully. Uh, in, in all manner of churches, I mean, all, all kind of things going on. You know, method of practice, the kind of practices, some, the manner of, you know, the prophecies they give to you. I mean, they are all over the place. It's a mixture of what we call syncretism. You're mixing traditional worship and you call it Christianity. You know, you do the things that people are supposed to do in the Occult world and you call it Christianity. It's a mixture. Is that okay? And this is what Paul was fighting against in this particular church. And he was trying to tell them that only Christ, only through Christ, if you can uphold Christ and, and keep him where he belongs, you can have eternal life without mixing up so many other things that they were doing at that time, which I think we are also doing today. Amen? So he tried to make them understand that Christ is God incarnate. It's God who became a human being. He tried to emphasize that. Is that okay? Right. He tried to emphasize that. And he also tried to make them see that forgiveness and peace with God come through your connection through Christ. These are the emphasis he was laying off for them. You know? And he was saying all of this thing, like I said, because of the mixture that were all about the place at that particular time. Which for me, we also see today, largely, in a lot of Christian congregations, you can be able to testify to this fact of what we're talking about here. A lot of syncretism are going on. Hallelujah. All right. So Paul also emphasized believers' connection with each other as Christ's body on earth. He was trying also to teach that you are connected to Christ, and because you are connected to Christ, you are also connected to your brother or your sister in true love, true spirit of love. The need for true love to be manifested within the church was also emphasized by Apostle Paul. Is that okay? All right. So, if you have the Bible, we're going to look at chapter 1. Uh, we may not be able to read it, but I will just make you see that. But if you go to chapter 1, and if you move on 1 to 12, if you read from verse 1 to 12, Paul introduced the book with a special prayer for spiritual wisdom and strength for these brothers and sisters in Christ. If you start reading chapter 1 from verse 1 to 12, the emphasis was a prayer for them to be strong and to have wisdom. Because wisdom will cause you to be fully separated from that which is not Christ. Is that okay? So he started by praying for them. For wisdom and strength. For everyone that was in Colossian church. Are you getting that? Right. So if you read that from chapter 1. 1 to 12, that's what you see. The emphasis he gave was praying for the church, for them to have wisdom, and for them to be strengthened. Strengthening on the ground that they are not deceived, they are not misled by what is going on, but our faith remains strong. Is that okay? Now that's what you find in chapter 1, from verse 1 to 12. Then, from 13, to 23 of chapter 1, he moved on to a doctrinal discussion of the person and work of Christ. 
This is very important. If you start reading from chapter, chapter 1, 13 to 23, after praying in verse 1 to 12, trying to strengthen the brethren, it came to chapter 3, I mean chapter, this is chapter 1, 13 to 23, because of this cause, doctrine. Is that okay? Right. So you understand that it is not just a book for only exhortation. It's a doctrinal book. It begins to position Christ where he belongs. So, in this context, you begin to see, for instance, um, look at, let's read them from verse 14. Let's just read anyway. Let's read from verse 13, if you can put it. Colossians 1 from verse 13. Let's see what we can get there. Would it very fast? Do you have it? Okay. Colossians 1. Look at this. Who are delivered from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dead son. Now he's not going to doctrine. To what his death has achieved. To where you belong now. Are you there with me? But that the 1 to 12, he was praying that you have wisdom and you have strength to be a believer. Then from chapter 13, it begins to discuss doctrine. So here he's telling you what Christ thinks through the cross. Is that okay? Right, you've been translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his destruction. So now, you must have to rather understand it that you are not just living like that, you belong to a kingdom. And that means you belong to a king. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. Is that okay? Right. So, go to verse 14. Verse 14 now says, very quickly, who is there? Hallelujah. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Can you see that now? This is doctrine. So, while I'm showing them, listen, you can't follow all of these things that people are trying to bring into the church. Believe in one thing. When Jesus died, he brought you into the kingdom. And not just that, your sins were forgiven. You've got to understand that. By implication, you don't need to be doing anything to have your sins forgiven. Through his blood, we are redeemed. Now, verse 15, very quickly. And he said, Who is the image of the invisible God, a firstborn of the new creature? You begin to see how he's bringing doctrine into the discussion. By implication, Christ is the image of the one invisible God. The God that you cannot see. You cannot see through who? Through Christ. You see what he's saying here? So, all of this thing he was saying, and like I said, to combat the error that were already in the church. Is that okay? Right. He was doing all of this things to combat the errors that people were not believing in Jesus. So he's trying to make that see. Christ is God who became a human being. And through his sacrifice, our sins are forgiven. When we talk about creature, that doesn't mean Christ was created. But we're talking about the new creature that God brought into being. He is the head. Or what you call the firstborn among many brethren. Is that okay? Right. Okay. Look at verse 16. Let us run through. 16. For by him were all things created that in heaven, that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they by throne or dominion, principality or power, all things were what? Created by him. Now he's trying to make them see where their faith rests on. And the position of Christ in relation to creation and everything that God made. 
Is that okay? By implication, if those who were teaching the other things before, maybe trying to make them believe in other calls, other worship, is bringing their minds back home from all of those kind of beliefs and centralizing them on who Christ is. This is the emphasis of the book. All right. Okay, so we move on to the next place. Let's see. Uh, verse 22, verse 17. And it's before all things, and by him all things were what? Conceived. In other words, everything is conceived in Christ. Everything centered in Christ. Hallelujah. Okay, 17. Okay, let's go to verse 18. Let's say, and he is the head of the body, the church, which is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. And this is very important. If you look at this, said, and he is the head of the body. What is the body? The church. By implication, what he's saying, you Colossian child, don't submit to anything else but on Christ. Do you understand that? Right. Don't be deceived if you don't believe in something else. Understand that he is the head of the church. Take, now, when something is your head, it simply means you come to the place where, listen, you look at your body, your body could be this large, but your head controls your body. Is that okay? Right. Wisdom is coming from here, your sight is coming from here, your mouth, your nose, your smelling, everything is from your head. So what he's trying to tell them here is, if you want to take life, or you want to have life from any other source, you miss it. The only source of which you can have life and live is Christ, is the head. By implication, if you want wisdom, go to the head. If you want knowledge, go to the head. So connect to Christ, and you connect to wisdom, you connect to knowledge, you connect to anything else that God has made. So he's a firstborn among brain brethren. You've got to understand this. Is that okay? So, this is one of the major emphasis that he was giving to them. Go to verse 19. Then he said, For it pleased the Father that in him should all was fullness well. The fullness. When you talk about the fullness, you're talking about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All the fullness was dwelling in who? In Christ. Now look at verse 19. Okay, that's verse 20. Look at verse 20 now. And, so, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say, whether they be things or out of things in heaven. Go to verse 21. And you that were sometimes alienated than enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now have the word reconciled. See that? So he's trying to tell them, listen, you don't have any other thoughts, you don't even have to be afraid of anything else. You don't have to come to a place of thinking that, well, God is angry with you, God is not with you. No. You don't have to be thinking about, well, the things that your great-grandfather did, or even what Adam did. No. What he's saying is, through Christ, you'll be reconciled. Now, that's one thing, which is very important. He said, you were enemy of God, where? In your mind. So, it is in your thinking that you made yourself an enemy of God. God is not your enemy. But you made yourself an enemy of God by the way you think. And you begin to be scared, you begin to run away. It's just like you see when the Bible says, when Adam, you know, after the eighth of the tree, the Bible says God came and then he hid himself and then they were afraid. That they became enemy of God in their mind. God didn't drive them in that sense in, in quotes. The reason God asked them to leave is that they were not perfect of the tree, so that they live in that condition forever. Is that okay? Good. So, you are enemies in your mind 
how the wicked walk duty. But he's trying to tell them, now, all of those things God has forgiven you, you can come back to him, you are one with him, you are a child of God, you'll be reconciled. Praise the living God. And so, here again, when he says, you have, in your mind, you have, you have a wicked walk in your mind, that means when you come to the Christ, all of those wicked thoughts that were supposed to be in your mind are erased off. Is that okay? Alright. Move on to the next verse. Verse 22. In the body of his flesh, through death, to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's the great thing you need to understand here. So he's trying to say, you don't need anything to get affected by God. You just need to understand, he died, reconciled you, and brought you holy and perfect before God. God has come to be able to accept you back, and he's seen your state through his blood, he made you holy, the Bible says, all reprovable. Is that okay? Good. So this is what he has done. This is what he's trying to tell these people. So that your mind can truly come to what Christ has truly achieved for them. Go to verse 24. Verse 24. I'm good. Like I said, I'm running through. Verse 24, very quickly. Now who now rejoices in my suffering for you, and fill up that which is behind of the affliction of Christ in my flesh, for his body's sake, which is the church. He's talking about what he went through. In other words, don't allow what I'm passing through to be in vain. It's like, don't allow even what we're doing now to be a waste. That we go through all of these things, and then you go out to mess up your thinking, and start thinking of something else, and practicing something else, which is not God. Is that, do you understand that? Yeah, because early now he was in prison. When he was writing this. So he was going through suffering. Why was he going through suffering? Because of the gospel that he was preaching. So he was trying to say, don't allow my suffering to be what? In vain. Is that okay? Now how do you allow the doctrine to be vain? If you have come to get this knowledge, get this understanding, and then you end up practicing what is not scripture, you've made the whole thing in vain. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what he was trying to say. Because remember I told you, they were practicing, I mean, their own party was in criticism. It's a mixture of so many things. Religious practices and all of those things. You just watch what is going on today. You know, in our churches and especially those prophetic ministries. And you see the kind of things that are going on. And then you're able to know that there's a big syncretism going on within the body of Christ. We're mixing pagan worship. We're mixing what our great fathers are doing. And we call it Christianity. Am I right? Largely that's what we're doing. So Paul is saying, don't allow my suffering of preaching the gospel, all the pain I've gone through to be in vain, by you not upholding Christ and standing with Christ alone in your believing walk. Hallelujah. Look at the next thing, verse 25. What was that? I've got the next chapter. Okay, 25. Thereof I made a minister according to the dispensation of God which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Okay. This is just part, and then I go to the next verse, or I go to the next chapter. Hallelujah. All right. Even the mystery which was here from ages and from generation, but now is made manifest to his things. So again, you need to understand what he's saying here. That the things that were hidden before have been made known. Is that okay? Right. Through his ministers. The things have come to know the mystery of Christ. That's what he's trying to say. So nothing hidden. Now, 
A mystery is something that I'll put it. Okay. Now, uh, people who join society, they have to get them initiated. Is that okay? Right. Now, before the initiation, in fact, you who is not among them, and you don't go through the initiation, you don't know what they do. So it's a mystery. Is that okay? Right. So but what he's trying to emphasize here for us is, you come to God, the mystery which was hidden, the secret things that men never knew before, have not been known unto you. There's nothing hidden anymore. God has become man, and for a purpose, wash you, cleanse you from your sins, forgive you of your sins, to reconcile you to himself. You are now one with him. Not just that, you are not sons. You can call him father. You can talk to him. You don't need any man in the true sense to stand between you and your God. Is that okay? That may be hard for you to believe, but that's exactly what it means. Hallelujah. I'm okay. You follow what I'm saying? Well, I want you to get that. So yes, from 23 down, we've seen that he emphasized how the world teaches and totally empty. Now we're going to get into that. Go on to the next. What's the next thing? Just move on quickly. Right, 27. To whom God will make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, was the hope of glory. The hope of the glorified is Christ in you. I just finished a series. It's important that you understand it's not just enough to be Christ and to have Christ in you. The Bible talks about any man being Christ is a new creature. So Christ has to be in you and you have to be in Christ. In fact, if you are Christ is in you, it's the hope of glory. If you are in Christ, it's a new creature. Is that okay? Now, when you are in Christ, that means, like I keep saying, Christ is like an environment. You live within the environment of Christ. He controls you. Now, think about it. If you take a fish from river, even if you build a flat for a fish, that man is going to die. Why? Because fish cannot live on the land. So the habitat of fish is water. Is that okay? Right. So what he's saying for a believer who is a new creature, your habitat is Christ. Does that make sense? Are you following what I'm saying? Alright. Look at the next thing. Very quickly. Then he said, Who will preach one in every man and teach in every man in all wisdom that will they present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Present every man perfect means present every man matured and solid in Christ Jesus. The essence of preachers or teachers is to make you who you are supposed to be in God. If my ministry can make you become solid, rather than mean mature, if my ministry can bring you to the place where you are no longer tossed to and fro, but every wind of doctrine, then I have not done my job. The job of the pastor, evangelist, prophet, the apostle, whatever thing, is to make you solid, to make you matured in Christ. Is that okay? So now, let's, let's put it this way. I, I once said it before. I'm not against, for instance, the use of olive oil. I'm not against that. Maybe God tells some people to use that. I'm not against it. But I have this question. If I have to pray for Holy Warrior for you, and you are walking in the high sea, maybe you say, well, I'm 
a month or two before you come back. What about, for instance, you finish using your olive oil because your olives are not yourself, maybe are not your food, huh? And then the oil is finished. And now here is your mate or your co-worker fainting and God said, pray. What are you going to do? You can't pray because there is no olive oil. I don't know if you're getting that. So your faith is resting on oil and not on Christ. That's the point. So you are not better than the Jesus man who always has something in his pocket that he relies on which is his faith. You are doing the same thing. Isn't it the same thing? You are doing just the same thing. As long as the oil is not there, you have no faith. The Jesus man has the same thing. As long as this little uh, something is on his pocket, the life is not there. You are doing the same thing. But just put the name of God in it. You see? So, if my ministry can make you mature, that look at what he said. The word is simply, when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven. What do you think that means? He needs to say, well, when you are praying, call on God as your Father, who is also my Father. Your Father is now my Father. We own Him together. We are trans. I'm the firstborn. Among many brethren, like we before. Is that okay? So, what do you mean to say? You have rights to your father. You have rights to God as your father. Praise the living God. Are you getting what I'm saying here? Good. So, anything that we take that from you is what Paul is fighting against. Where your faith is not relying fully on God, where you are understanding about who you are. He still not have come to the place of knowing that I am a child of God. I can call on God. I don't really need any man before I can approach my father. Until you come to that place, you are still a baby. Is that okay? And therefore Paul is struggling to make it the door. So it's like, present every man perfect. The word perfect actually means to mature, tell us, to come to completeness, to come to fullness. Praise God. All right. Let's go down. So, remember, the Pathosian Paul talking about your union with God. Is that okay? In Christ. Alright. Go ahead, let's see. Um, what do I want to touch here? Okay. Uh, go to the next thing. Let me see what I have to touch there. When I come to the downside, I'll let us see again. Um, okay, I would like us to jump to chapter 2. Go to chapter 2, verse 1. For I wonder that you know that what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, as for many as have not seen my face. Conflict, you know, the trouble I was passing through. Just move on. Move on to this. Okay. That their heart might be comforted, being knitted together in love, and unto all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the faith, and of Christ. This emphasis I'm making. Now, so here yeah, it kind of summarizes my conflict, my desire, the trouble I'm passing through for you is to come to this place. That your heart might be comforted. Even though I'm passing through trouble, just realize it. Be comforted. That I'm struggling to do this. You be needed to get what? In love. And unto all the riches of the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of what? The mystery of God and of the Father, 
and of Christ. So, the mystery of God. In the book of Revelation, the Bible says, when the seven prophets sound, the mystery of God is finished. What is the mystery of God? The mystery of God is actually Christ made manifest. In other words, God becoming a human being. It's a mystery. For great is the, I mean, the Bible talks about the gospel preach in the book of Timothy. Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. Seen by men. Received of into glory. You understand that? That's the mystery. The mystery of God is that God became what? A man. You see? And then when you talk about the Father and of Christ, I will not be able to explain that, but Father is a title. It's not, it's a person's title. I don't know how to explain this to you. But let me put it this way. Now, for my parents, I am a son. Am I right? For my wife, I am a husband. Is that okay? For my children, I am a father. But I am still myself. So I relate to different people in three ways. That is the when you say father, you are not talking of something different. You are talking of his creative ability. He's been the father of the household. When you talk about son, you are talking about him for who came in a lower state to meet with man. Because the father is spirit. He has to become a son, a human being, so that he can handle him. Then when he moved into glory, he poured the spirit out so that he has father, son, and holy ghost. He is the same person manifesting in three ways. So that's why he says, in acknowledge of the mystery of God and of the Father and of who? Of Christ. Is that making sense to you? Right. It's like, if you take water, for instance, Put it in a cup. As you know, this is, this is like, you know, a metal. And you put it in the water, you open, I mean, in, in the fire. If you open it, you start to heat it. What are you going to get? Coming out of it, vapor. Is that okay? Right. Now, when you collect that vapor and put it in a deep freezer, what are you going to get? Ice block. Is that okay? So you have Vapor state, the water state, the ice block state, but it still has to all. Do you get that now? So that's why we're talking about the mystery of the Father, God, and Christ. You're talking of the same person, but manifesting himself in three dimensions. So they're not three different people. Is that okay? Yeah. So that's what he's saying that you may come to that absolute of understanding. So the knowledge, acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Praise the Lord. Are we following? Right. Okay. Just move on. Move on quickly. In whom I hate all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In other words, if you truly want to look for wisdom, it's finding Christ. All the wisdom and treasure. Everything that you need to know about God that ordinarily you cannot know, they are hidden in who? In Christ. Hallelujah. Is that okay? Alright. 
So move on just a little bit. Let's move on. And he says, And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with what enticing wealth. Can you see that now? And say not so that you are not deceived. The word enticing means to deceive. I'm making you to see all of this so that you are not deceived into believing and worshiping something else that is not God. For the wisdom and understanding, the mystery of who God is, is finding who? In Christ. So if you can have Christ, you have all of the wisdom of God made manifest to you. Therefore, you cannot be thinking about buying that to shrine, or anybody trying to do something to you, you know, whatever. I mean, it's not crazy. What we see today in the, in the, in the center. Okay, let's move on right quick. Time is now. For though I be absent in the spirit, yet I am with you, where in the spirit, join and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in you, in Christ. Even though I am not in prison, I am not there in Colossians, I am in prison, right? But I have got to know, even through my writing, that you have orderliness going on. You are comporting yourself in Christ, and you have come to the place of beholding your order, and seeing how perfect, united you are in love with one another, Christ is ruling and reigning your needs. I can rejoice over that. Is that okay? Alright. Next thing. And look. As they have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so do what? Walk ye in this. This is the emphasis. Don't be turned away from the Christ. Through all forms of beliefs, or teachings, or practices. Is that okay? Don't be turned away. I, somebody sent me a video recently, and uh, I don't want to mention the name, but one of the big bishops presently, you know, and he said, until we come back, husband, it was in the video was that, the Muslims they pray three times a day, I don't know how many times, or four times a day, right? About five, five times? Okay, five times a day. And then uh, the Jews they pray uh, four times a day, and uh, until we come back, to pray four times a day before watch. Oh, that was crazy. Why were the Jews pray four times a day? They have their four watches for prayer. The first thing is, why for instance was Daniel opening his window to the east when he was in Babylon? Because when the temple was built, Solomon's temple, he prayed a prayer. Say, Anywhere a Jewish man is, if you could face this temple, Answer their prayers. So it was a party for the Jews. Now the Bible says pray without ceasing. That is not four times. Is anybody understand me? That's not the point. They pray without ceasing. No, okay. If you have to pray without ceasing, how are you going to do that? Twenty-four hours. You don't pray. I mean, you don't. You, you don't stop praying. Is that what it means? No. To pray without ceasing means. You have God in your heart at any point in time. You're walking in the street, you're thinking about God. Even you do your business, thinking about God. Did I say pray without ceasing? That means you can't even go to the toilet. Are you getting that? So, if people don't, you see, but you bring all this thing now. It's pushing because the bishop, everybody wants to push to that. We want to pray four times a day before you are accepted by God. You see what I'm saying? These are syncretism. You are bringing the practice of Judaism, you are bringing the practice of Muslims, and you want to match it with Christianity. No. Scripture says pray without season. 
So it's not 4 times, not 5 times. Now it's at any point in time, God is in your heart. You know God is your Father. Anywhere you are. You see, Jesus was praying when Lazarus was to be raised in John 11. He said, Father, I know you help me always for the sake of these people. Did you get that? For the sake of these people, I'm just going to say what I'm saying, otherwise, we commit all the time. By implication, he won't have said anything for Lazarus to come forth. But because of the people, he has to say it. Now think about Lazarus comfort. What kind of prayer is that? You see what I mean? So if they want you to grow up and mature as a son, then you can make declarations on behalf of your father. You get results. So it's not a matter of go pray four times a day, go pray five times a day like Muslims. No. That's no scripture. Is that okay? Alright. I'm trying to go out of my notes so that we can pick up so many things. Because your time to finish the book is it's not going to be easy. Go to the next verse. Okay, that's what it is. Rooted and built up in him, established in a place, as you have been taught, abiding therein with what? Thanksgiving. As you have been taught. So that's the key thing. The things you are taught are important. What you know is important. Are you getting that? Good. So what he's trying to tell them now is that, look, you've been built up. You already know how to know the truth. You don't have to go into syncretism. You don't have to go into gnosticism. You know the truth. You know that Christ is the head of the church. The crime of the church is his body. Having known this truth, grow up in what you know. Be built up in what you've come to know. Is that okay? So, you, you, you can't be in this stage. You can't be, I don't know what essentially you are taught, or you've been taught, but I, I just want to believe that you've been taught the truth. You can't be taught these things and you end up acting like somebody else. Are you following that? So this is what Paul is saying. So the truth you know, you grow up in that truth. I used to say it, and some of you must have heard me say it. You, you don't come to me to tell me to break generational forces. It's, it's, you, don't, you don't tell me that. Even if you have fire on your head as a minister of God, you have fire burning, and you tell me to go for, to break generational forces. You, you can't move me. With the fire on your head burning, you can't move. Because I know it's error. I am built up in that conviction that the things my father did have no part in my life. And scripture abounds that prove that part. Is that okay? So, and he said, grow up in that. So, I'm not going to have an issue come to me and begin to think, oh, maybe generational causes. It's foolish. What you've known, grow up in that. Be built up in that. Let it be your foundation. This is why all these things we're looking at, you see, they are doctrine. They are not just, the book is not just for exhortation. It's for doctrine, primarily. Is that okay? Alright. So look at the next thing. And then it says, Beware lest any man spoil you. Here we go. Look at another translation. Maybe message translation. Or amplify translation. I want this back to be emphasized. That be well as any man spoil you through philosophy. Which translation is it amplified? Scripture is that no man carries you off as a spoil. You know what a spoil means? People go to warfare, kill the people and carry their property. That's for spoil. Whatever you come back home from warfare. So let no man 
carry you off and spoil or make you yourself captive by so-called philosophy or intellectualism or vain details, idle fancies and plain nonsense. Following human tradition, made ideas of the material rather than the spiritual world. Just good notion following the rudimentary and elementary teachings of the universe and disregarding the teachings of who? Christ the Messiah. Did you see that? So pastors do this. Who are not strong in the word of God. And, you know. Oh. Okay. Can you give it to me in a method translation? Try it again. You don't have it? Oh, it's right here. Watch out for people who try to dazzle you with big words. And intellectual double talk. They want to drive you off into idle arguments that never amount to anything. They spread the ideas through the empty tradition of human beings and the empty superstition of secret beings, but that is not the word of Christ. You see what I'm saying? When people come and tell you, all right, now I'm not saying they can, but when they tell you an angel told them to do something, as a matter of fact, when they teach you that you should go to God through an angel, for instance, that's kind of nonsense. Is that okay? Are you listening to me? Why do you think Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda? Why do you think he went there? You see, the pool, remember when he went to the man that was there and the man said, I have no man to throw me into the pool when the angels stirred the water. So angels were responsible for the healing process. Angels come to that place, stir the water, and go in there, you get your healing. Is that okay? Right. So why do you think Jesus went there? And he went to that man and said, why? Do you want to be healed? Oh, I want to be healed, but I have nobody to throw me into the water. Take up your bed and walk. Walk out of this place. What do you think he did? He came to prove to them that the era of angels having authority over the source of God is over. Do you understand that? Because you see, the laws, according to the book of Acts chapter 7, they were given to Moses by angels. Now the Jews believe that angels have authority because they were the ones that gave the law to Moses to give to them. You see that? So if somebody comes now to give you tell you, oh man, you need to worship in Jamaica to get results, you want to win church, get ready to get results. That is taking you away. If they come to tell you, Angel Gabriel spoke to me yesterday and asked you to do something that is funny, you don't have to believe all of those nonsense because somebody say an angel told him something. It does not align with Christ. It's an idol fancy. Amen? You follow what I'm saying? So this is what all of this in Paul is trying to teach. And what he's trying to say? Upholding the headship of who? Of Christ. The position of Christ in your life. How you should relate to Christ. That was his concern. And he was doing it because there were people that were coming to mess up the church in deceiving them to go into some other things. Praise the Lord. Okay, let's go down to the next next verse. I don't know. For him it will have all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Is that okay? Right. You don't need to think about all of that. Now, take this from the Amplified Translation. It's so powerful. Amplified Translation. For in him, and then we'll go down to this, the thing as I say. For in him, we who? In Christ. For him, the whole fullness of deity. The what? The Godhead. Continues to dwell in bodily form. 
giving complete expression of all the divine nature. Look at the next verse, verse 10. Verse 10. And you are what? In him, in who? In Christ, made full, and having come to what? Fullness of life in Christ. You two are what? Sealed with what? The Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And reach full spiritual stature. And is the head of all rule and authority of angelic principalities and powers. See what he's trying to say. He's trying to get your mind away from those who are trying to project some supernatural being, some supernatural powers, some, some angelic being, you know. He's trying to get your mind back. Tell us, all of those things we're talking about, forget about it. Christ has the fullness of the Godhead. You too, being in Christ, you have the fullness of God, of the Godhead. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are resident in you. You see what he's bringing for? So you, you walk with this consciousness, this authority, this mindset. That's what is trouble. How to keep them steady on this conviction was the issue of Apostle Paul. Are you following me? Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.